Friends, would you open with me into that familiar paragraph in John 15? We're going to read it again. John 15, verse 12 to 17, as we continue to unpack what it looks like to be disciple-making disciples. Hear now God's word. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray together. Jesus, you've chosen us, you've appointed us, you've called us to this task. I pray now that even as we're reminded of those things, you would give us courage to turn and to make fellow disciples of one another. You can do that in our midst, and so we ask for it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we're spending this entire month talking about the mission, being disciple, making disciples in a church planting church. And so we began very simply at the beginning of October saying to make a disciple, you need to be a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple from John 15, to abide in Christ? And then the next two weeks, last week and this week, we're talking very practically, how do we go from there and seek to grow, build fellow disciples? Next week, we'll talk about evangelism, and then we'll close with talking about being a church planting church that multiplies. Today, just very simply, I want to talk about the nuts and bolts of discipleship. I want to talk about the tools, the gifts that God gives us to equip us to do this thing, and then what our task is from here. What are the very next steps that we can begin to take? And so just very simply, we're going to talk in three categories. What's the task? What are our gifts? And then what's the strategy going forward? Let's remind ourselves of the task. Let's talk about where we're headed, what we're doing. The task is to disciple one another, which means to grow each other in Christ. Now, last week, we heard some of those very rich phrases in Scripture that talk about this task. Listen to these. Mature in Christ, conformed to the image of his Son, transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. They all spell this journey that every single Christian is on, and that is to grow up into what we already are. We are these things in Christ. Now the entire scripture calls us to grow up into them. John 15 says, we abide in Christ's love. We're there. So now what do we do? We make our dwelling place in his love. We cherish him. We know him better today and tomorrow than we did yesterday. Now, I've heard one author describe discipleship very simply as helping another person take one step closer to Jesus. And I like that definition, just taking one step closer to Jesus because it breaks things down. I think the word discipleship, like the word evangelism, they can be very intimidating words. I mean, discipleship, the idea of discipling another person, that brings up images of ancient sages from Tom Brokaw's book, Greatest Generation. You're just this wise sage dispensing wisdom to eager pupils around you. 
When you use the word discipleship, you start to begin to imagine, if I want to disciple someone, I have to know the Bible better than them. I have to pray longer than they do. I have to be generally more holy than they are. And then I have something to offer if I'm going to disciple another person. We begin to think that way. But if this is simply taking one step closer to Christ, this is actually something we can do in a peer-to-peer relationship, right? This is something that we can do among friends because it's something that we need in our own life. This is something that can happen in several different areas of our life. It can happen in the area of habits. If we are struggling with reading scripture on a regular basis or praying on a regular basis and we grab someone and say, will you keep me accountable to these things? That is mutual discipleship. You together are taking one step closer to Christ. This can happen in the area of affections. If I sit with another person and we talk about together what it is that we most love, what it is that we're most afraid of and why that might be the case and how the spirit comes to bear on that. That's mutual discipleship. That's together taking a step closer to Christ. It can be in the area of mission. If we hear about a ministry opportunity at CPC, teaching Jews and Jesus, welcoming refugee families, and we grab another person to go and do that ministry, that's peer-to-peer discipleship. All of that is part of this task of moving each other one step closer to Christ. Now, even though we're breaking it down, even though we're, we're putting discipleship into bite-sized chunks, it's still intimidating to think about. I mean, at the end of the day, no matter what you say about it, what we're calling each other to is to take the person next to us and to make an eternal difference in their life. There's no way to sugarcoat that. There's no way to break that down beyond it. That's unsettling to think about that every single member has that task. In fact, I think it feels a little bit like uh, having a baby. When you have a newborn baby, especially your first child. I was in the maternity ward yesterday as Neil and Catherine gave birth to twin daughters, beautiful baby girls. And I was thinking about how wonderful it is in the maternity ward and how sweet and great it is to have these kids when nurses are kind of buzzing about helping you and tending to your every need. But then all of a sudden, three days later, something crazy happens. They open the front door and you walk out into the parking lot with this little living eternal soul and you get the impression that everybody expects you to keep it alive and to give it a college education. And it's just, it's not clear how you're going to do that. You're wondering, is anybody going to come with me to do that? I feel like I got more instructions when I bought a hamster at the pet store than when I had a child. And I think growing disciples can feel that like that. You know, you come into this fellowship, welcome to CBC, so glad to have you here. Could you turn to the person next to you and make them conform to the image of God's son? That's essentially what we're asking each other to do. And there's only so much you can break that down, right? That is terrifying. And I think for 95% of us, we hear that call and we understand that task. And we say, if you're asking me to do that as just a plain vanilla ordinary member of this church, you clearly don't know me. You don't know who I am. You don't know my story. You don't know my background. You don't know my lack of giftedness. You don't know what I struggle with now. If you're asking me these things, you don't know how little I know my Bible. You don't know the fact that I actually took a spiritual gifts test and I failed. I didn't come up with a single spiritual gift. You're asking me these things because you don't know me. And it's like Jesus ever so gently interrupts the middle of our excuses in verse 16. And look at this. He says, it's not even about you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. 
I wanted to stick myself in the center of this drama and question my suitability for discipling people around me, but Jesus completely cuts me off. And he says, look, you're a guest in a story that's been told from eternity past. This this thing we're talking about, mutual discipleship, it begins in the Trinity itself and the love that God has within his three persons. And it carries into creation and then to redemption and then the forming of the church, the bride of Christ. And it spills out from each of us into each other as we mutually disciple one another. And this story goes on forever and ever. It's an eternal story. And you play just a very, very small part in this thing. I was reading an article this week very randomly about the movement of soil in the world. Soil movement in the world. A great article. You should definitely get your hands on it. But um, I didn't realize this, but apparently that in a drought season in Africa, wind can kick up a, a dust storm that's so severe that it can actually carry dust from Africa, not just to another country in Africa, but across the entire Atlantic Ocean and deposit that same soil in Brazil and even thousands of miles inland in Brazil. There's a sense in which in these drought seasons, topsoil from Africa is fertilizing the Amazon basin to the tune of 13 million tons of dust every single year. Isn't that incredible? Just to imagine the scope of that kind of earth being moved across the entire Atlantic Ocean. When you, when you think about something like that, as mind-boggling as that is, it only begins to scratch the surface of the kind of movement we're talking about here. In this same way, we are caught up in this massive sovereign movement of God from eternity past to eternity future. You and I, as a member of this church, we can no sooner bow out of the task of abiding and nourishing and pruning in the garden work of God amongst each other than a speck of dust in Botswana can say, I'm not going anywhere. You simply don't have that option. Jesus is choosing you and he's pulling you up into this massive story. However improbable it sounds, Jesus is going to use you to grow the people next to you. That's what he promises to do. And he doesn't just leave us on our own to do this, we read an entire paragraph that outlines the gifts, the tools, the resources that Jesus gives us to do just that. Look at the paragraph that I read. Here's a few of them. We have the gift of his love. We have the gift of his life, of his friendship. We have the gift of knowledge, the gift of being chosen and appointed. We have the gift of abiding fruit, and we have the gift of answered prayer. In this little tiny paragraph, I count eight gifts that Jesus gives us to tend to this task. And this isn't even all the gifts we have as a believer. These are just the ones that are found in this paragraph alone. And so to summarize the tools we have for discipleship, we could think about it this way. We have absolutely all the security that there is to have in Christ because he's chosen us and he's appointed us and he's extended his love and his friendship to us. We know everything that there is to know for this task because Jesus reveals all he has from the Father. There's not a single piece of information we are missing because Jesus gives us all knowledge. We have all authority to do what Jesus is calling us to because he says, you can ask for anything in my name and I will give it to you. 
And finally, we have all power to do this task because we create things in Christ that are going to last forever. Every single Christian, every single believer, regardless of your background, regardless of your perceived giftedness, regardless of your Myers-Briggs personality profile, Every single one of us is a day laborer who has been equipped and delivered to the garden of God to do this very work. You will bear fruit in discipleship because Jesus says you will bear fruit in discipleship. You will. He's chosen you. He's gifted you. He's equipped you. You will bear this fruit and be caught up in this story of God. We have the task in front of us to disciple one another. We see the gifts that are outlined in this paragraph, the the tools, the resources we have. Lastly, we got to talk about strategy. I mean, what, what is the next practical step I can take? How can I take all of this and begin today to do this work of discipling the person next to me? Well, I just want to talk about strategy in in three steps, three areas, three questions that we can ask ourselves that are going to move us towards this task of discipleship. Number one, the very first thing that we do is to locate our community. That's the first thing we got to do, locate our community. We got to ask ourselves the question, who are the people that God has given me to disciple? Who are they? Who are these people? If our fishing pool, the the people we're looking to disciple, is all of Christendom, it's every believer everywhere, then this becomes an overwhelming task and we never get started. We're just flailing in one direction to another. We've got to narrow our focus. Who are the priorities that God has given us? Who are the people that God has given us to disciple? And the very first fishing pool we have, the very first priority we have as a believer is our family. That's the first area of people God has given us to disciple. Don't be so eager to disciple a casual contact you make at Starbucks that you neglect the eternal souls that are sitting around your breakfast table. Every gift that God has given us, all of these things we just outlined are all applied to us first as a husband and a wife, as a father, as a mother, as an aunt, as an uncle, as a child within a family that we mutually disciple one another. There was a Puritan pastor named Richard Baxter who wrote a book to fellow pastors and this is what he said about discipling the family. You are not like to see any general reformation till you procure family reformation. Some little religion here and there, there may be, but while it is confined to single persons and is not promoted in families, it will not prosper nor promise much future increase. We must have a special eye upon families. If we suffer the neglect of this, we shall undo all. There can be a situation where we as a church become so frantic to do ministry outside the four walls of our home that we're busy discipling other people and neglecting the work that we have at home. And Richard Baxter very humbly says, if you do that, you're going to undo everything. There's no point in gathering in the first place. Our first line of discipleship is together as families. Our second pool, once we are beginning to do that uh, among fellow family members, is our church community. If you're a member of this church, it's this church community. And more specifically, it's the community you have within the community. 
Your role is not to disciple every member of this church. There are 250 of us. That's not your task. You find your narrow community here. And that's most pronounced in our life groups, our small groups, and in the ministries that we participate in. Now, I say all this as an encouragement because... We don't need to dig our own pools. We have them here for us. There are already things that we're doing that allow us to participate in these things. I don't want us to sit here as members and say, okay, I'm doing Sunday morning. I'm doing life groups. I'm volunteering for ministry. Now I've got to find new people to disciple outside of that and meet with so-and-so at such-and-such a time. I want you to stop that and think about the tracks you're already running on. If you make Sunday morning worship a priority, you're around these people. If you come to your small group every week or every other week, depending on when yours meets, then you're around these people. If you volunteer for a ministry either within the church or outreach outside of the church, then you're among these people. And those specific people are your community. That's who God is calling you to do this discipleship with. Once you've located your community, number one, which can, I think, be one of the hardest tasks to do, number two, you diagnose those relationships. It's one thing to have a relationship with a a person. It's another thing to understand the relationship. You're asking yourself the question, is this person moving toward Jesus or away from Jesus? As I walk with them, do I see them moving towards Christ or away from Christ? If the discipleship task is to take a fellow person and to move them one step closer to Jesus, I need to discern if they're heading in that direction and I'm here to encourage them and point that out in their life and give praise to God for that, or if they're backing away from Christ and my role is to challenge them in those things, that's my role when I diagnose a relationship. Now, how do I do something like that? How can I discern somebody's personal, private relationship with the Lord? How do I know if they're moving towards Jesus or away from Jesus? One way to do that is to use the three categories I already mentioned. We talked about habits and affections and mission. So think about these three areas, these categories. Think about the area of habits. Is this person putting into practice the disciplines that Jesus has given us to follow him, the means of grace? Do they read their Bibles? Do they pray on a regular basis? Do they make fellowship a priority in their life? Are those things present in this person's life? That's a very simple thing that we can ask another person and hold them accountable to. Now, is it possible to read your Bible every single day and be stepping away from Jesus? Absolutely, that's possible. But is it possible to never engage God's word and be taking leaps and bounds towards Jesus? I'm not so sure that is. Habits is a place we diagnose a relationship. Number two, affections. When you're sitting with a person and you're getting to know them, what do they love? What do they fear? What are they excited about? What gets them out of bed in the morning? Is there a relationship or an addiction or a promotion or a dream that they cherish more than Jesus? All of these questions, as we share with each other, are ways to determine where is their heart? Where does it lie? Is it moving towards Jesus or away from him? And then finally, we could think about the area of mission. Maybe they have habits that are being practiced. Maybe they have the affections towards Christ. But if it's all happening in their personal prayer closet and not within the life of the church, there's a problem. Is this person finding their unique way to do evangelism and discipleship? Are they participating in mission? All three of these just become simple diagnostic categories. Habits, affections, mission. Is this person moving towards Jesus or away from Jesus? 
Once you've done that, you've located your community, you've kind of diagnosed the relationship that you have, the last thing we're called to do is to be intentional. Am I helping this person become more like Jesus? To put it very simply, in my relationships, am I bringing the word of God to bear and am I bringing the spirit of God to bear in the relationships that I have? Again, this doesn't have to be a teacher to a student. This can be a peer-to-peer relationship. It can happen anytime, anywhere, among any assortment of people. No matter who I'm with, if I bring up a scripture that's pertinent to a situation, that's a word of discipleship. If I share with another person what I'm learning in scripture, wherever that is, that becomes a moment of discipleship. If somebody shares something with me and I tell that person, let's stop and pray for that right now, instead of saying, I'll try to remember that when I get home to pray for, that becomes a moment of discipleship. If I go to a person and confess my sin to them, I tell them where I fall short in the area of habits and affection and mission, that's a moment of discipleship as they see my own walk with Christ. If I hear about a ministry opportunity and I grab another person because I'm scared to do it by myself and I take them with me, that is a moment of discipleship. In all of these ways, we're bringing a person one step closer to Christ. There's a phrase I read this week in 1 Corinthians 4 that's just been mulling over in my mind again and again. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he tells them that I'm sending Timothy to you to do this, quote, to remind you of my ways in Christ. I'm chewing on that phrase, ways in Christ. First of all, what are my ways in Christ? What What are the habits, what are the patterns, what are the rhythms of my own life and my own walk with Christ? And then secondly, how am I being transparent with those? How do other people around me see those things so that they could be reminded of them? When we locate this community, when we diagnose these relationships, when we're just very intentional and practical about seeing a person move one step closer to Christ, all of that is caught up in this sovereign movement of God to grow his church, and every single one of us is a part of that. Let's pray together. Jesus, this seems totally improbable, but you actually say it's impossible. You tell us that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so this is just another chance to fall at your feet and plead for you to be active in our lives. I pray that you would nourish us. I pray that we would abide in you. And I pray that you would bear this good fruit that lasts forever. Do this in our midst, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.